November 13th, 2018. The moment that really sent shivers down my spine was just like walking through the halls of Congress, the labyrinthine, concrete, super dingy basement. The single file line of young people just went so far. It was like, holy shit, there are a ton of people here. Deep in the basement of the U.S. Capitol building stood a formidable crowd of party crashers. Their uniform? All black t-shirts printed with striking yellow letters. We were all lined up against the walls, just singing, disrupting, being so cool. It was so cool. This crew of teenagers and 20-somethings began to move. They marched through the winding corridors of Congress and arrived at one particular room at the end of a long hallway. It was the office of the third most powerful person in the U.S. government, Nancy Pelosi. Her office assistant was at this huge desk kind of in the back of the room, and you could tell he was just like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> like, this is happening. Pelosi's assistant watched apprehensively as the crowd started to file inside, holding signs emblazoned with statements like green jobs for all and 12 years. the failure of political leadership. As long as we have been alive on this damn planet, in each of their hands was a manila envelope, stamped with bold letters, which asked a simple question. What is your plan? Hey there. You're listening to Inherited, a podcast about young people determined to leave behind a better world than the one we've been given. I'm Juliana Bradley. And I'm Georgia Wright. We're the producers of Inherited. And like the people you'll hear on this podcast, we're part of the climate change generation. Our generation has inherited a flawed world and an unprecedented climate crisis. But we're not just going to accept this world we've been given. Instead, like generations of young people before us, we're rising up to change it. In this first season of Inherited, we'll feature stories from fellow young folks who are experiencing climate grief and anxiety, fighting like hell, and imagining a future that we can feel at the tips of our fingers. The future of my wildest dreams is one where I don't have to worry about the future. Where elected officials govern out of love. I just want to see a future where it feels beautiful and joyful to be alive. Inherited isn't here to answer all your questions about climate science. We're not going to throw a bunch of data at you or have long chats about policy solutions. All of that is very important, but at this point, we've heard a lot about the science. It's been around for decades. So Inherited brings a different conversation about how young people can take action right away, why we got here in the first place, and what we can do to make up for lost time. We are here to share some of the stories of this community so that whether you're young or old or somewhere in between, we can all learn from their magic and their strategies. Because so far, the youth climate movement has been really, really effective, and their numbers are growing. For this episode, we're going to zoom in on just one particular group within the movement. This is episode one, The Young and Naive. Although we are young, we are anything but naive. <laughs> Climate activist group Sunrise Movement. The director of the Sunrise Movement. I want to take this opportunity to thank the Sunrise Movement. We can make you fall. The Sunrise Movement, I know that this is a battle we can win. We are fighting for a just economy, 
for a just society, a just environment, and a just future for the United States of America and the world. You might have heard this rallying cry. Climate change is a man-made problem with a feminist solution. Good, right? It's the action-inspired call of Mothers of Invention, a climate justice podcast like you've never heard before. Join former Irish President Mary Robinson, comedian Maeve Higgins, and series producer Thamali Kaudikara as they celebrate Black, Brown, and Indigenous leaders all over the world fighting from the front lines. I, for one, absolutely loved listening to one of Mothers of Invention's most recent episodes, The Very Nature of Ownership which examines alternatives to extractive capitalism. What a feat to seamlessly meld humor, boundary-pushing ideas, and climate justice. I didn't realize it could be done, but it can be. And Mothers of Invention does it so well. For smart laughs, climate knowledge, and new ideas, go listen to Mothers of Invention wherever you find your podcasts. Before we get back to Inherited, we want to tell you about another show for young listeners we think you'll really love. From YR Media and PRX's Radiotopia, Adultish is a mix of storytelling and hilarious, no-filter advice with guests like author Adrian Marie Brown, singer JoJo, and comedian W. Kamau Bell. And as it so happens, our very own Georgia is also a producer for the show. Honestly, I've been having a blast working on Adultish this season. Easily my favorite part has been collaborating with the hosts, who are fellow 20-somethings, Nigel Turner and Mark Nguyen, and they are truly delightful, extremely smart and funny human beings. They break down topics like imposter syndrome, the election, and the importance of setting boundaries, something we should all be doing. Plus, if you listen, who knows? You might hear me chiming in too. Check it out at adultishpodcast.com. Those young people in t-shirts lined up in the halls of Congress? They were part of the Sunrise Movement. At the time, Sunrise was very new to the climate scene. Its founders were mostly college kids who had been part of campus divestment movements, pushing their universities to cut ties with the fossil fuel industry. Until the 2016 election. President Trump taking swift action to roll back much of President Obama's climate change policies. All of a sudden, the already bleak climate projections looked a whole lot bleaker. The dangers of climate change have been known for at least half a century, but many of the actions that have been taken to slow them down haven't done enough. And now this new administration was going to backpedal on any of the progress that we've made. The early Sunrisers knew they needed a new approach to climate organizing, one that centered young people, felt daring and idealistic, and was built for explosive growth. Miles is one of these first members of Sunrise. I had been involved in the climate movement since 2012. This was five years later. Everything that we'd done added up to a tiny fraction of what we needed in order to actually combat the crisis at the scale that we needed. Just a few weeks after Trump's inauguration, Miles' friend invited him to join Sunrise. It didn't take much convincing. There was just like fearsome, fearsome energy in the country right now. You know, Sarah said that she had been working on a a new climate project and if I would be down to help out. And I said, sweet, I'm in. Miles and the other early Sunrise members had coaches and mentors from movements like Black Lives Matter and Occupy Wall Street. With a bit of seed funding from established environmental groups, they slowly started to grow. 
Theirs was an ambitious vision. Sunrise would train passionate young people to demand aggressive climate change policy from elected leaders. And if those leaders didn't deliver, they'd get voted out of office. Flash forward. In early 2018, just a year into Sunrise's inception, the country's youth erupted in national protests following the school shooting in Parkland, Florida. Across the country, young people watched 17-year-old Emma Gonzalez call out half-assed approaches to gun control. Us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS! Riding the energy of the protests for gun control, the youth climate movement exploded onto the scene. Many young people saw fighting against guns and climate change as the same thing, a battle for their lives. Jeremy was on a college visit when he saw Emma's speech on the news. But then I'm in a motel room there, and Emma Gonzalez says her stuff, and it feels like this dam is breaking, and like, I can't be on the sidelines for this. Jeremy went all in on youth activism. He postponed college for a year and joined Sunrise full-time, fighting against the climate crisis and for the lives of young people just like him. But for some, joining Sunrise took a tiny bit more convincing. When a Sunriser tried to canvas Adeseli off the street, she did the classic tactic. Head down, avert your eyes, make up some fictional meeting you're running late to, you know. I wasn't my nicest. I was like kind of agitational because I was like, oh, what is this? And it was it was sunrise and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty smart. So I was like, all right, I vibe with this. And others vibed with it too, like John, who had spent years trying to find his role in the climate movement. I felt very out of place and inexperienced. Like I had absolutely nothing to offer because these people have been doing it for like 50 years. That's why when I was at a Sunrise meeting, I realized, oh my God, I have value just being a young person with my perspective. Like that's what people want to hear anyway right now. A young person like Laïs, who at 17 couldn't even cast a vote. She wanted a voice in politics and a new way to talk about climate change. Sunrise did introduce me to climate justice. You know, I just like learned about it in terms of climate science and climate change. And there's a huge difference between that and climate justice. They don't teach you that in school. Climate justice is no longer a footnote of the climate movement. It's the whole damn book. In a society full of inequality, climate change hits low-income communities and people of color the hardest. Sunrisers understand that battling climate change isn't only about planting trees or reducing carbon footprints or saving polar bears. Climate justice is about making sure that all people, not just the wealthiest, have a fair chance at coping with the effects of climate change. Climate justice brought Katie, who was a biology master's student at the time, to Sunrise. I was like, wow, this is exactly what I've been looking for, this type of comprehensive approach to climate change and the climate crisis. After driving a few hours for her first Sunrise meeting, Katie actually went home and joined up with some college students to start a local chapter herself called A Hub. Also, I thought it was really cool that I was being taught by people my age and younger. In its first year, Sunrise was not only trying to recruit members and start new hubs, it wanted to totally reimagine what it meant to act on climate change. Because with this new administration, it wasn't that the game plan was bad. There just really was no game plan. 
the sense of like, okay, everything that the leaders at the elite have told us in the past 15 years is a lie. And it's really up to the kids to take power and to do this ourselves. So they did. And we'll hear how after the break. Let's refresh. You've heard the voices of six Sunrisers now, our storytellers for this episode. I'm John Kirsch, he, him pronouns. My name is Araceli Jimenez, I'm 23. My name is Matthew Miles Goodrich. Most people call me Miles. I'm Jeremy, I'm 19 years old. My name is Laís, I'm originally from Brazil. I'm Katie Carbonara, I'm from Key, New Hampshire, and my pronouns are she, her. From different hubs, at different ages, with different levels of involvement, this varied assortment of Sunrisers have one thing in common. By summer 2018, they were all part of the movement. But don't worry about keeping their names straight. They'll tell this next part of the story together. Flashback two years to summer 2018. We had our first group of Sunrise Fellows. And so basically the whole summer was spent trying to get the incumbents out and these more progressive people in. Time check. This was post-2016 election, post-Parkland, and just before the 2018 midterm elections. Since its inception, the Trump administration had rolled back dozens of environmental protections, even basic stuff that had been in place since the 1970s. And then, just a month before the midterms, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a shocking report. It didn't mince words. If we didn't act within 12 years, certain drastic changes would be locked in. Here's the Sunrise Movement's executive director, Varshini Prakash. How many of you saw that report and saw your future flash before your eyes? I did. The report predicted fires, starvation, drought, flood. It was pretty apocalyptic. The need for change was urgent. So Sunrise prioritized candidates who spoke this language of change, who were willing to fight for the priorities young people care about the most, including the climate crisis. And their work paid off. In the midterms, Democrats took control of the House of Representatives, claiming over 40 new seats. The newly elected Congress was the youngest and least white in history, and included young progressive women of color, like 29-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Can you put it into words? Nope. (laughs) I cannot put this into words. All right, your, your supporters here are very excited. For a moment, hopes were high. Then... Nancy Pelosi said that climate would not be a priority in the 116th Congress. And it just sent us all into a tizzy. Like, it made us livid that we had just spent three months in brutal heat knocking on doors to make sure to deliver Nancy Pelosi a majority to do the work of starting to govern and of fixing this problem. And they were telling us that, oh, don't get your hopes up, kids. Like, that just felt like business as usual to us, and we weren't going to have it. What the fuck was the point if we were going to put these people into seats of some power and some influence, but clearly not enough? Establishment politicians said that Sunrisers were expecting change to happen too quickly, that it wasn't realistic to set ambitious goals and bank on them to be achieved on such a short timeline, that it was naive, maybe even a little entitled to do so. And okay, perhaps it's true that as young people we expect fast change. Our time horizons are shorter. It's hard to get perspective. And maybe we get frustrated when these changes don't happen at the speed we want. 
after all, we're facing down the most disruptive, terrifying existential threat in human history. Cut us some slack. Besides, this sense of urgency works to everyone's advantage. Combating the climate crisis really does require a rate of action that we've never seen before. High standards, fast timelines, dreamy aspirations, they're not just convenient. To stop the climate crisis, they're a necessity. So, for Sunrise, there wasn't a moment to lose. There was, like, hints of this thing happening in D.C. Word started to spread. There was going to be a summit, a big one, right after the midterms. At this point, Sunrise had under 100 organizers and only about 10 hubs across the country, so no one really knew how many people would turn up. And they called it the Young and Naive Summit, and that was because of something that had come out of the the previous summer's campaigns where one of our Sunrise fellows, I believe, challenged some prominent Republican who then on camera called her Young and Naive. That came from actually our organizing in Downingtown to get Tom Wolf elected, who has, was governor, but then there was Scott Wagner who was running against him. We bird-dogged him. You said that climate change is a result of people's body heat and are refusing to take action on Issue. You know what, I appreciate you being here and you're 18 years old and, you know, you're, you're a little young and naive. <laughs> the branding we went with and we went with that all summer. It's like, oh, we're those young and naive kids that are fucking up your system and changing things for the better. And so, on the second weekend of November 2018, young people from across the country arrived in the nation's capital. Their goal? To stage a big, disruptive sit-in at the office of the then-presumed Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. So they set up a scrappy sort of camp where they stayed for three days. I remember showering once during the whole time. I was like, you know what? We're trying to change the world here. It's okay if we don't shower every day. For those three days, they planned incessantly, going over everything imaginable to feel prepared. Rest protocol, bail laws, metro schedules, parking snacks, songs. These young organizers were running a tight ship. We like taped out the office on the floor, like who was going to be where, what roles people had, where you were going to sit, all the music cues for sitting down. So we just like went over everything that we could possibly think of. They were ready. On November 13th, 2018, True to their name, the activists rose with the sun. And we had an early start. I just remember going through security. There were like 150 of us, I think. On the day of the sit-in, sunrisers filed into the basement of the U.S. Capitol. Bleary-eyed government suits shuffled past them, unfazed by the line of baby-faced activists in matching t-shirts. You know, this is still an office building, and as, as loud and rowdy as we want to be, we have to be respectful in the right areas. When we put our fists in the air, that meant it's time to be quiet, but we all put our fists in the air at once, and it just looks so powerful. They walked silently, fists raised, through the marble halls until they reached Nancy Pelosi's office. Then, they let loose. It's like, boom, we're feeling it. I had to, like, remind myself, my, like, friends and classmates, they're in school right now. I'm in the freaking calls of Congress, causing a ruckus, loving it. In the hands of the protesters in line, were clutched those single manila envelopes. Inside, the reason they were there. People walking to the desk, dropping the envelopes, saying, this is what I'm fighting for, this is what I'm fighting for. We all had brought pictures of the things we were afraid to lose to climate change, or the things that we wanted to protect. 
I brought, I believe, a photo of my brother standing in Sunset Park looking at the skyline in, in New York Harbor. I brought a picture of my little brother. He is six and a half now. So I did bring a photograph of some of my family who lives in Venezuela. Oh, and also the sugar maple trees of New Hampshire. They're really, really susceptible to warming temperatures. And it's like the tree that just makes me think of home. After each of the Sunrisers dropped off their envelope, some gave speeches, like Jeremy. And then I remember Aaron going to me and saying, Jeremy, it's your turn. We have endured bullets and storms and fires because we've had to grow up one too many times. Speaker Pelosi, Democratic leadership, we are asking you to grow up. After several speeches, someone new arrived. And then I remember seeing AOC walk by and I was like, oh my God, she's like right here. I just want to let you all know how proud I am of each and every single one of you. Yeah, and she like hyped up the crowd. She, like, she went into the office and gave people high fives and thanked us and it was just like, Wow, like this is what happens when we elect people that actually understand the scale of the problem and will fight for it. The fact that she was there and the fact that Sunrise had endorsed her, I'd say it solidified the value of electoral politics for me. AOC is a superstar in the climate world. And this moment, when she showed up to the sit-in, it was pivotal for the youth climate movement. This is it. Like, this is the moment she is here. It's her first freaking day, and she's making waves like this. And so the next time that we, like, raised our fist, I just remember it feeling like a torch. The power was flowing through my arm, and it was just, like, incandescent. And I just felt so strong and so united with all my fellow Sunrisers. And I was like, wow, this is, this is unique. This is special. For a moment... The activists were glowing with power. But then, the cops had enough. That's when the police came in with the megaphone and was like, This is your final warning. You do not want to be arrested. United States Capitol Police. The Capitol Police asked the organizers to leave, threatening them with arrests for civil disobedience. This wasn't a surprise, though. And Sunrisers were prepared. Those risking arrest sat down in Nancy Pelosi's office and began to sing. Purposeful arrest is a tried and true tactic, perfected by activists of decades past, as is the staging of a sit-in. Sunrise may be new and innovative in many ways, but it draws heavily on key traditions of successful justice movements throughout history. Like this song you're hearing. It was sung by imprisoned dissenters in apartheid South Africa. As each sunriser was arrested, the rest of the crowd sang out their name. One thing that I thought was really kind of beautiful is that we didn't know each other's names. We didn't know everyone who's getting arrested. So we were kind of whispering to the person next to us, like, I'm Katie. In case that person got arrested, we could be the person calling out their name in the song. The fact that many of the 51 activists getting arrested didn't know each other's names is key. They'd come from all over the country. Most of them had never met before. And yet, they operated as a seamless unit with joint values and goals. This is Sunrise's model operating at its best. 
decentralized, deconstructed organizing with the power to become one at the exact right moment. And here we are, like, kind of a bit of a ragtag group of people from all over the country who just kind of came together for a few days and wanted to do something that would make an impact. Nancy Pelosi never did show up that day. But it didn't matter. Sunrise activists had done what they came to do. They had made a statement. The morning after the sit-in, I, Juliana, was doodling, bored at my desk in D.C. See, I'd moved there after college, thinking that I had to work in policy to actually make a difference. But there... I wrote environmental briefs few people would read and even fewer people would do anything about. I felt dull and bored and lost. Until a friend who worked on the hill sent me a text. I opened it. It was a video of a kid losing his shit, demanding for people decades older than him to grow up. My name's Jeremy. I turned 18 a month ago. This kid was, of course, Jeremy. And I wasn't the only one watching his speech. It had gone viral. I remember waking up the next morning to, like, our follower numbers just explode and getting hundreds of direct messages and media requests coming in, Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs, pieces of our live stream going viral. It was like, what was happening? Over the next couple days, Jeremy's speech and the Sunrise sit-in blew up. News outlets posted photos of the halls of Congress lined with protesters, while headlines read, Who is the Sunrise Movement? There were pictures of police officers leading young activists, hands zip-tied behind their backs, down the steps of the U.S. Capitol. For perhaps the first time, the youth climate movement had truly captured the nation's consciousness. The success of Jeremy's speech had taken everyone off guard, but no one was more surprised than Jeremy himself. Being so rooted in these experiences I was telling and just feeling like they were pouring out of me. I was then thinking, I fucked it up. I messed it up so bad. Gosh, how scary it is. It is so, so scary to tell your own story. But we need to do it. The fact that Jeremy stood up that day made a difference to a lot of people. Like me. See, by telling his story, Jeremy changed mine. Now, I no longer sit at that desk in D.C. I am no longer dull or bored or lost. Instead... I'm here with you. We gotta speak in the eye. We've gotta speak in the eye. No one will get us if we don't speak in the eye. No one. God damn it. And if we're if we put it to the we, we become the waving banner, which is not enough. We become the Instagram post, which is not enough. We need to be the person we can see and touch and feel. That's why one of Sunrise's core principles is we tell our stories. They know that putting a face and a voice to the climate crisis will persuade people to give a damn. We at Inherited know that too. It's the whole reason we're making this podcast. And for Sunrise, their commitment to storytelling is starting to work. Those t-shirted kids in the Capitol no longer line the hallways. Instead, they have a seat at the table. I think that the youth climate movement has power in a way that we never had before. And that's what gives me hope because we had a clear-eyed analysis of power and that we didn't have power before. You know, we were... A sideshow. We were we were a gadfly against the rhinoceros, but we've proven ourselves. And to be able to do that while still remaining idealistic and uncompromising in a few ways gives me a lot of hope. 
then it's surreal. We've blown open political possibility. And as of September 2020, there are over 12,000 young people nationwide who are part of the Sunrise Movement. And I'm one of them. See, back in 2018, I was depressed. Big picture, depressed. Climate, depressed. It came from this sense of anxiety and powerlessness. I talked about climate all the time, but it made me feel like the lone voice trying to sing in a crowd. I was attempting a push for change on my own, desperate to help others just listen for a second, just please, please notice this terrible crisis that had our collective future in a headlock. And then I read about the sit-in, brought me to my first sunrise meeting, which brought me to my first protest, and now I've been volunteering with the movement for over a year. Honestly, it's changed my life. Against all odds, even in this train wreck called 2020, I feel hope. That's because I'm not a soloist anymore. My lone voice has been added to the most powerful chorus I've ever been a part of, one that could blast off on the force of its sound, echo through the halls of Congress, be picked up by satellites. And that generating shared force, that's the real shimmering gold power of this movement, in Sunrise and in all the other organizations that play a part. Each of us brings our unique life and experiences and voice to this grand choir singing for change. I'm Jeremy. I'm John Kirsch. My name is Adesela Jimenez. Most people call me Miles. My name is Laís. I'm Katie Carbonara. I'm Bradley. And I'm Georgia Wright. Remove any one of us and the song would still be sung, perhaps just a little differently. Add several more, the chorus grows richer and louder. Soon, it might power this earth. It's like a sustainable resource, maybe the one that sparked this podcast. Inherited is a production of Critical Frequency and is reported, produced, and sound designed by Georgia Wright and Juliana Bradley, with editing and production help from Amy Westervelt and Reka Murthy. Music by Rafael Atias and Storyblocks and sounds from Storyblocks. Special thanks to my friends at Sunrise Movement NYC, to Jim Stahl and Merlin's Penn Climate Grants, and of course, to Critical Frequency. Find us at InheritedPod.com and follow us at InheritedPod on Instagram and Twitter. Listen to this episode and the rest of the season on Spotify, Stitcher, the podcast app, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you to our storytellers for this episode. Miles Goodrich, Araceli Jimenez, Laís Santoro, Katie Carbonara, John Kirsch, and Jeremy Ornstein. If you enjoyed today's episode, you'll love our sibling podcast, Generation Green New Deal, also from Critical Frequency. The podcast and corresponding documentary take a closer look at the policy and strategy making the movement tick. Check out their first episode for an amazingly different perspective on the sit-in. Thanks for listening to our first episode. Next week, we'll be back with episode two. Until then. Everyone's a storyteller. Everyone's got to be a storyteller. You guys are storytellers. That's inspiring AF. You should put a clip of me saying that in your thing. Sorry, what?